0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so good to see you. It is so good to be back. For, for those of you who know we have been gone, my family and I have been gone for the last few weeks. We've been on just a few weeks of family vacation, family R&R. We started in Port Aransas, made our way to North Carolina, went to South Carolina, about 3,000 miles, eight states, and a lot of fun. But you know what? I am one of those people who loves to to get away for a while to unplug and detach but i'm also one of those people who loves to come home and it is so good to see everybody today thank you all so much for the time that we had together just a couple of reports i want to make to you you all may remember that before we left I said that one of our our missions on this on this family vacation was to go and to celebrate my mother's 80th birthday well mission accomplished on that she is doing well matter of fact uh, the day after her birthday we went kayaking and um, and she insisted on having her own boat not being paddled not paddling with anybody else and she paddled better than all the rest of us and so that was a lot of fun. On a, on a much heavier note, though, I have had several people ask me about something that is that is a, a little bit sad. Um, before I left, I told you that we had a new addition to our family, that we uh, we had a corn stalk that was growing in our yard. And I used it as a sermon illustration of good fatherhood. If you tend the corn, if you take care of it, it will prosper. It did not while we were gone. And, and several people have been concerned, what, so what happened with the corn? and. It is no more. Uh, I just wanted to let you all know that. I felt like I needed to close the circle, but that still does not invalidate the points that I made in the sermon before I left. But it is just so good to be back with you today. Thank you all for letting us be gone, and thank you, more importantly, for allowing us to come back. It is good to be home, and it's good to be with you, especially during these summer months. We're continuing our study of the book of Mark, And the passage that we're reading today is interesting, not only for its own sake, but because of its structure. It's a story about a desperate father and his sick daughter, but then it's interrupted in the middle of the story by another story. And I just was thinking about that as I was studying, preparing for this sermon. Isn't that the way life happens? You're on your way to do something and all of a sudden there's an interruption in life that seems to change everything. We're going along and then life gets interrupted. Well, today we're going to deal with that main story, the first part of the passage and then the latter part of the passage. And then next week we'll return to that interruption. But the story today begins in chapter 5 in verse 21 and then resumes at verse 30 35. So if you will, read along in your bulletin with me, or watch the screens ahead of you, or turn to this passage in your own Bible. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And then there's that interruption. We're going to jump down to verse 35. Jesus was speaking to a crowd who had intercepted him on the way. While he was speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered... He said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them, and he went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, Arise. And immediately, immediately, The girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we deal not only, Lord, with the the main storylines of our lives, but with the interruptions, we ask that you would speak into our lives and into our hearts your power, your truth, and your daily encouragement. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we pray. Amen. I know that many of you are going to be able to relate to this, but a parent's or a father's worst nightmare is that his children will have a problem that he cannot fix. A situation which is beyond his power to help or make a difference. When your daughter is diagnosed with cancers or some other overwhelming disease, When your son has a fever that just won't break. When your precious child is suffering from deep mental illness and confusion, battling demons that you can't even see, doing things that neither she understands nor that you understand, dealing with spiritual pain and mental anguish. When your teenager is ridiculed or persecuted or bullied by his or her peers and feels the loneliness of rejection. When your young adult is the victim of their own bad choices and is enslaved to addiction or enthralled to rebellion against the family, against the church, or even against himself or herself. Those are all problems that we as parents have to face knowing that they are beyond our control, our power to make a difference. But this story of Jairus and his his daughter there's a story about one of those situations. And it's a story that tests our faith. And I don't mean that it tests the credibility of miracles or the believability of Jesus raising a little girl from the dead. No, what I mean is that this story challenges the limits that we put on God. It forces us to wrestle with our notions of what God will do and what God can do and what we can trust God to to do. So let's get into this story. Who was Jairus? The scripture says that he was a leader in the synagogue. He's most likely a Pharisee, a lay leader, or an elder, but perhaps even the rabbi. But he was an active, faithful, if I may use this word, churchman. And right here we learn that Jairus is a man of faith. But what is the resilience of that faith? Tragedy befalls even faithful church leaders. His daughter is sick, mortally sick. And this is an emergency. Have you ever had to make a 911 call? If you ever had to make a 911 call, raise your hand. What's that that thought process like? What's that like when you're trying to decide, you've got the nine, you've got the one, and you hit that last one? What's going through your mind at that point? I mean, I have to confess that I've had to do it a couple of times, and every time I've done it, it's like there's this second, this moment of doubt and paralysis when I'm asking myself, is this really a 911 situation? Can I not handle this myself? Should I not be doing something on my own? Do I really need to make a 911 call? Am I overreacting? I'm sure sure that Jairus was feeling that same way. I mean, do I go and get the help of this controversial leader? I mean, remember, he was a Pharisee, and Jesus was not particularly... Uh, popular with the Pharisees, but do I go and get the help of this controversial leader, this controversial rabbi, this teacher? Do I go and get help from this Jesus? Do I go get help from this faith healer, from this this carpenter? I mean, yeah, I mean, my daughter's sick, but do I really, is it really one of those 911 situations? But then we see the real metal of this man's love for his child. Nothing matters. He's not worried about the way other people will react to this. He's not worried about any kind of pride or embarrassment. He makes the 911 call, and he calls out to Jesus. That spiritual 911 call. He fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live." I want you to make note of something important here. Jesus, excuse me, Jairus came to Jesus himself. He came himself on behalf of his little girl. He didn't just send somebody else in this case. Parents, I want you to understand something. There's nothing wrong with asking other people to pray for your children. But there is no substitute for a father's or a mother's own prayers for their children. I know that there are people who come to me all the time and ask me, will you pray for my child? Will you pray for this person I love? And I'll ask them sometimes, well, how are you praying for them? Like, well, I I don't know, I just wanted to ask you to do it. As if I'm somehow more holy, more connected to God, or somebody else is more holy, or connected to God, or other people are more holy, or connected to God, and God doesn't want to hear our prayers. But I'm telling you, Christ wants to hear our prayers. Cry out to Jesus yourself. Make the 911 call yourself. It's okay to ask others to pray with you, but don't ask people to pray instead of you. Throw yourself into the power of Jesus Christ. Make the call. Then Mark says that Jesus went with him. Jesus made, uh, excuse me, Jairus made the call, and help was on the way. But then something happened. On the way, Jesus was delayed. While Jesus was on the way to save Jairus' daughter, he got stopped by the crowd. and He got stopped by a woman who had been suffering from a bleeding problem for 12 years. Now that situation is going to be the topic of next week's passage next week's sermon but for now i want you to understand that jesus was delayed he was stopped he was intercepted he was interrupted on his way to save jairus's daughter now remember the father was with him and if i was that father if i was jairus i would have been saying what are you doing my my daughter's dying We can't pull the ambulance over for somebody else on the way to this rescue. This woman's been like this for 12 years. She can wait, let's get moving. I mean, isn't that the way we are? It's like, forget everybody else's problems right now. We gotta get, we gotta move. We gotta make this happen now. But while Jesus was ministering and while he was having this interaction with this woman, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Now this, this delay, I believe, I believe this is no accident. I believe it's critical to the story because this delay prevented Jesus from getting to Jairus' house in time. It prevented him from getting there in time, and the girl dies. The girl is dead. You know, maybe Jesus could have done something if he had gotten there sooner, but now it's too late. And the messengers even say, "Why trouble the teacher anymore? Why trouble? Why trouble the teacher any further? Why bother the teacher now?" And I want you to understand: this is not just reporting a fact. This is a statement of resignation and defeat. This is a statement where you throw your hands up and just give up. Why bother the teacher now? It Kind of reminds me of the story of Lazarus in John's Gospel. It's interesting that in this story, as in the story of Lazarus, a person was sick at death's door, but Jesus was delayed. And when he finally got there, the person has died. And in the story of of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, came to Jesus and they said, Lazarus is dead. Maybe you could have done something if you had been here sooner. But you know what, you're too late. If you had only been here, you could have saved my brother. And now Jairus must be thinking something along the same lines. If you had only hurried, if you hadn't stopped, if you hadn't delayed, you could have saved my daughter. And I think that's interesting about about what it says about the way we approach God. Because we approach God because we want God to prevent bad things from happening. We see God's power more as a power of prevention than a power of restoration. It's more of a power of protection rather than resurrection. Resurrection. And therefore, faith becomes a totem, a formula to prevent bad things from happening to me and the people I love. But as I said, this delay is not an accident. Rather, I believe that this delay is a setup for a deeper revelation of Christ's authority and Jesus's true identity. Because the reason for this delay is to prove the power of Jesus, not just over sickness, but over death itself. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. The word here that we translate as believe is the Greek word pistuo and the greek word pistuo doesn't just mean believe in an intellectual sense it means trust it means believe into and what jesus is saying to jairus this grieving father is don't be afraid trust me i'm sure jairus was thinking well, i did trust you i came to you but then my daughter died what have i got left Jesus is saying do not fear only believe now after she has died then jesus said the child is not dead but sleeping and the crowd laughed at it now why did they laugh because back then they knew death It was all around them, from the goat they slaughtered for supper, to the neighbor who died of dysentery, to the friends murdered by Roman soldiers. They knew death. They knew what death looked like. And it's an anachronistic insult to say that these people were just too primitive to recognize death. And this statement doesn't mean that Jesus didn't get it. That he didn't understand that she was really dead. What this statement means is that to the Lord of hosts and to the God of gods, the King of kings, the Son of man and Son of God, death is no more dreadful or permanent than sleep. Death is no more dreadful or permanent than sleep. And so what this is, is a statement of Jesus' authority that death, which seems always to have the last word, does not. And so Jesus put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And we can't miss the importance of these details and the way this story is being told. Remember that Mark is is uh peter's story his eyewitness account of the life of jesus and all this takes place behind closed doors with a very small group of family and friends and peter was there in the room where it happened and we hear the actual words of jesus in his own language in aramaic and we hear the description where peter remarks that this little girl was able to walk because she was 12 years old these are eyewitness details and that gives us the credibility of an eyewitness But it also reminds us of this, that this whole episode is very personal. And it's a reminder that Jesus' authority over life and death is not just a doctrinal issue. It's a personal issue. For Jairus, the life and death of his daughter was not a matter of right belief or orthodoxy. It was a matter of love and connection and relationship. But then Jesus, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. I love it that Jesus heals by the power of his word, not through CPR, no hocus-pocus or potions, just by the power of the word of God. The command that spoke the universe into existence now raises this little girl to life. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking. And jesus strictly charged them that no one should know this and he told them to give her something to eat this story is ultimately not about faith although it is a great picture of faith desperate tear tear covered gasping faith now this story is primarily about the authority of jesus and that even with the delay Jesus showed an even greater miracle, that nothing, not even death, can separate us from the power of God and the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. To me, as I reflect on this story, this passage begs a question. When is it too late for Jesus to make a difference? When is it too late? Do we trust Jesus even when it looks like the game is over? In life? In death? In life beyond death? When is it too late for Jesus? When the legendary pastor of this church, P.B. Hill, was just a seminary intern, He served coal miners in the mountains of Abingdon, Virginia, and one day, the town's chief of police, a man named Dick Hudson, came to him because he wanted to talk. Now, Hudson had never gone to church in his life and had never given any attention to religion, but he liked this young chaplain and ended up spending time with him, getting to know him, and asking questions. Friendship was developing, but one day, on his way to testify at the trial of a man that he had arrested, Hudson was ambushed on the way to the the trial by a cousin who shot him in the neck with a shotgun. Young P.B. Hill helped the local doctor clean the body and they went to see Mrs. Hudson. Of course, she was heartbroken, but she was also scared for her husband and she said, Mr. Hill, will you please tell me something? Did Dick go to hell? The young minister answered, Only God can decide about that. He is the only one who knows what goes on in a man's heart. The question that that story raises for me is, again, is there a situation or a person too gone for God, too extreme for Jesus to make a difference. When is a person beyond the power of God to save, to restore, to resurrect? That, again, is the question forced by our story today. When I was in South Carolina on vacation, I was reminded once again of the motto upon the great seal of the state of South Carolina. The motto is this, Dum Spiro, spero." While I breathe, I hope it means that while uh, the while we are still alive as long as we are still alive while I can still draw breath there's a chance there's hope but what happens when hope is lost what happens when our hope runs out what happens after death after that last breath like Jairus's daughter is our last breath our last hope I mean after that why trouble the teacher any further does our faith end with our last breath or do we believe that those who are in christ are in his eternal keeping do we believe that jesus christ cares up for us beyond breath and even beyond death again at the funeral of his friend lazarus lazarus sisters confronted him and said to him oh jesus If you had only been here, he would not have died. If you had only been here, you could have done something. But then Jesus said something incredible. With Lazarus lying in the tomb, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked them a very direct question, one that left no room for debate or gray areas. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? To Jairus, this grieving, brokenhearted father, Jesus said, do not fear, only believe. Do you believe this? Death, especially the death of someone we love, like a child, is the thing that tests the metal of our faith harder than anything else. It is the sharpest edge that cuts between what we see and how much we trust Jesus Christ. This is the gut check between nominal and personal faith. And when Jesus says to trust Him, do we really trust Him? Not only with our lives, Not only with our lives, but with the lives of those we love. Is eternal life just a platitude, or is it the truth? Do we really believe this? Jesus raised this little girl from the dead so that he could give us a touchstone, a concrete example of life beyond death that we can see, so that we can know we can trust him when we cannot see. And through that seemingly ridiculous delay, Jesus shows us the even greater miracle. Not just healing, but life beyond death. He did this with Lazarus. He did this with Jairus' daughter. And he did it in his own resurrection. Here is the proof of Jesus' authority over death. Here is the truth that Jesus has authority to give life. It's not just a claim or a boast. cause of Jesus Christ, there is life beyond death, and there is life beyond breath. And the point of this miracle, given for our benefit, is so that when somebody dies, we will know that we can believe in what we cannot see because we have seen the proof of his authority more powerful than death, and even more powerful than our hope is the authority of Jesus. Because the Lord said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Do we believe that? I've done a lot of funerals in the five years that I've served as your pastor, and in the 20 years before that, And in those funeral services, in the gathering of family and friends, I always read the promise of Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. But certain questions always haunt me during the service and afterward. Do they really believe what I'm telling them? Do they really believe this stuff? Or are we all here just going through the motions? Do they really believe this? This story of Jairus and his daughter is a story that tests our faith. I don't mean that it tests whether or not we believe that Jesus can raise this little girl from the dead and the credibility of miracles. No, what I mean is that it challenges the limits of what we believe God will do, how God can make a difference in our lives. It forces us to wrestle with our notions of what God will do, what God can do, and what we can trust God to do. The greatest fear of a parent, a father's worst nightmare, is that his children will have a problem that he cannot fix, a situation which is beyond the power to help. But in those situations, are we ready to cry out to Jesus, to pray and to make that spiritual 911 call? Do we trust Jesus with the lives of our children and the lives we love, of those we love, even beyond our capacity to help or our ability to see? Jesus said, do not fear, only believe. Trust me. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, we live lives of constant interruption and constant challenge. We fear not only for our own lives, but especially for those that we love. And we worry, oh God, that that there are problems that are just beyond our control, situations, decisions, consequences that are beyond our ability to help and And we are at our wit's end. We are at the exhaustion of our of our resources. We have nothing left to give. Can we trust you? Can we trust that that you can help beyond every limit? Can we trust you to know what is best even when things are dark and cloudy to us? Can we trust you, oh God? to care for us in life, in death, and even life beyond death. Lord, help us to trust not only our own lives, but the lives of those we love to your ever-faithful care. Not just in moments of crisis, but every day, knowing that you hear our prayers, that you respond to that call, even when we cannot see what you are doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.